The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandments of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. But the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, Avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Last week, I think it was, I was having a conversation with a parishioner and a story came to mind. Uh, This story uh, was told by someone who had been in a parish, had come there, I think as a new person, and became a lay Eucharistic minister. And he realized that the way that they served the chalice there, the the, the lay Eucharistic minister would start at one side and go to the other. But always when they came back, they touched a a brass plaque that was on the wall, just above the rail. Well, he thought that was very curious. He didn't understand what was going on. So he asked one of them, why why did we touch the brass plaque? And the person responded saying, they really didn't know. We just all do it. (laughs) And finally, as he searched this out, he found out that a former rector had, had worn shoes it would build up static electricity as he went down the line, and he always touched the brass plaque before he continued on the second round of communion. There are so many things like that in the church, it's almost embarrassing. It's very easy for us to lose sight of the meaning of something that we do. I've always been thankful for my mentor priest when I was doing my field ed in seminary. He had a reason for everything he did. And I thought that's that's a good thing for a priest to do. So we know why we do what we do. But in so many aspects of our lives, it's possible for something that had meaning at one point to lose its meaning and become something of its own. And it can happen especially 
when it comes to our life in the church and holiness. The philosopher Nietzsche wrote that the reverence accorded to a tradition increases with time until the tradition itself is thought to be holy rather than pointing to the holy. Once the tradition becomes holy, the holy is forgotten. Well, I think that's a part of what Jesus was struggling with, with the Pharisees and with the scribes who had come out from Jerusalem. They had come there to find out what this teacher was up to. But before we get into the gospel, there are a couple of things that I think we need to address first. This particular section of scripture has been read by Christians down through the century as a sort of a uh, condemnation of, of, um, of uh, holding on to uh, certain rules, this legalism associated with the purity laws and also the idea of certain foods being kosher and others not. But it's important for us to see this in the context of Judaism. For the Israelites, it was important for them to be able to identify themselves as separate from all those people who were around them, those powerful nations, uh, many of which overpowered them, and all of the gods that those nations had. And I think to this day in Judaism, this keeping of certain practices is a part of identity and reminding people who they are. There's another thing that I think is very important about that, and that is that those laws were a reminder of the holiness of God and the need for God's people to pursue righteousness. So that's one thing. I think we need to say uh, these rules and, and all of these practices had meaning and, and were important for a particular people. The second is that we should be reminded of who the Pharisees are. They get such a bad rap in the New Testament, and I've often thought that if I had lived in the first century, I might have been a Pharisee. <laughs> I dress like one today, actually. So, <laughs> The Pharisees were people, the word Pharisee means set apart. And they were a small sect, perhaps uh, some scholars think about 6,000, but they were the most influential sect in Judaism in Jesus' time. They believed that they had the truth. And because they had the truth, they could uh, stand in judgment over those religious leaders who weren't following the practices that they thought they should follow. They also believed that the Hebrew Scriptures were the Word of God, but also that Moses had given an oral tradition, which also had to be followed. And as time went on, of course, if you wanted to know if you were leading a righteous life, you didn't just need to know what that oral tradition was, but it had to be interpreted because of the many complex aspects of human life. So would that fit here? Does it fit here? What should I do in this circumstance? Eventually, of course, the law became a tremendous burden. But the problem with our quick criticism of the Pharisees is that we often miss the fact that they were people like you and me who were trying to understand how to lead a righteous life. And that's why I say I think many of us probably would have been attracted to that kind of understanding of how to be right with God. Well, with that as a, as a backdrop, let's consider the gospel lesson. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes in the temple wanted to know what was happening with this new teacher. And when they observed how the disciples were eating, they apparently were shocked because the disciples 
had not washed their hands before the meal. Now, this was not about cleanliness, but it was about purity. And again, there's a good side to this. This idea of washing and purifying oneself before the meal was a way of acknowledging the goodness of all of God's creation and even bringing mealtime under the sacred canopy of the law. So it's important to know that this was purification. And in fact, the word is translated in some places as baptism. The purification, this act of religious purification, was understood as something that had been passed down from generation to generation. This was an even more important tradition than touching the brass plaque. But Jesus' real argument, I think, with the Pharisees is even clearer at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And there he says, You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Jesus said that he did not come to do away with the law, but to make the law complete. And I think that his struggle with the Pharisees and with those from the temple is not about uh, their search for righteousness. I think that he could see in them Uh, how they really were trying to find a righteous life. But his struggle was about the purity of heart. There was all this focus on making sure to do the right thing, but not much focus on purity of heart. Now, I think we Christians can also fall into that mode. It's very easy for us to kind of engage in a sort of uh, performance-oriented practice of religion. And that's what this keeping of rules is all about. It's performing the right way, doing the right thing. Wanting to know what's right and what's wrong, it's all very clear. But what Jesus invites us into is a relationship-oriented religion. And it's a relationship-oriented faith that we build our faith upon. Many of us would like checklists. It would be so much easier if it was just a matter of following the rules. But it's much more than that. But it doesn't work that way, just following rules. That's really not what Jesus has called us to. It's much more complex. It's about a relationship. And that relationship is, first of all, with God. You remember uh, the young lawyer was going to try to trip Jesus up and asked him, which of the commandments is is the most important? Which one is the greatest? And Jesus said, To love God with all of your being, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to live out a faith that really is lived out in relationship. The first relationship being between us and God. Because it's with God that we are empowered and strengthened in order to be able to have right relationships in our common life. Priest and theologian Robert Capon uh, says this, Whatever the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is, it is not a religion. It is, in fact, the announcement of the end of religion. And the reason he says that is, if you think about it, if you think about the world religions, think about our own uh, tradition, 
religion is really about trying to control God. Certainly, in many cases, trying to control other people. How much has the church, throughout the centuries, tried to control people by the dogma and by all these man-made rules that have become uh, very much a part of the faith? And what Jesus seemed to do is turn all of that upside down. Religion, at its base, is an attempt to control. Uh, in the epistle to the Hebrews, he says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. Only Jesus can do that. And he does it with one very simple device. He announces in his death and resurrection that whatever religion was trying to do or would try to do, he has taken care of once and for all. I believe what Jesus is reminding us of is that tradition is not bad, but it's not salvation. What we do can often be good, but it's not salvation. Rather, it's the state of our hearts. It's where our heart is. And that's what Jesus was telling the Pharisees and later the crowd. He drew the crowd together and he talked about nothing can defile you going into you. It's what comes out and that emanates from the heart. Perhaps our baptismal covenant uh, says it best. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? And will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? And we respond to that by saying, I will with God's help. And that is so appropriate. It is only with God's help that we are able to live out those relationships in a way that is wholesome and that, that deepens relationships. But I think it's also important that our hearts be broken open so that we can receive Christ and that after receiving Christ, we can be transformed in all of our relationships and they can be made whole and wholesome. So we give thanks today for the one who came among us to say, it's not about keeping all the rules, but it's how you live your life from your heart. Amen.